kicking down this motherfucking door, and we're doing that. Let's get into it. There's anything that could be haunted? For sure that what? fucking chair's haunted. Then again, the internet always wins. The internet always wins. Searching around about uh, this dock I found. Let's be frank, there's piss on the floor. Was pulled out of power and he was murdered by firing squad. I'll start huffing paint. Welcome back. This week we watched Sholem Aleikum, Laughing in the Darkness, directed by um, Joseph Dorman. So, uh, yeah, I'm joined, as always, by Mitch and Christian. Hello. Hello. Um, I, I, I was going to use some kind of Jewish greeting, guys, but uh, I don't I don't know one. So, Salaam Aleikum? No. Fair enough. The, I, I think one? that's Arabic. All right. Well, <laughs> very, very different. We're on the, they're homies, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Okay. Well, I mean, homies, like they live next to each other. Yeah, everyone knows that disgruntled neighbors on deep down actually like each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no. anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this documentary is about um, Shalom uh, Alaikum. Oh, yeah. Shalom Alaikum. Yeah. I was surprised at how they were saying his name. Yeah. I obviously, I don't I don't know a lot of Yiddish people or like Jewish people even and yeah, it was it was hard to uh to read about this guy ahead of time without having actually seen it cuz you feel like you're reading in your head and sometimes you read it aloud and you just yeah. you so, have to just pick a way to say the word before you know how to say it. And then you hear it said and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's how they say it." Oh, okay. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I got to yeah. reorient my whole brain now. We oh, said wow. it very uh very ignorant. Shalom alaikum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so he was a uh, Yiddish uh, uh writer um based in Ukraine. And um mm-hmm. yeah, um, a pretty crazy time in uh, history and I'm, in like Jewish history. I mean, I feel like the entire ti- history of the world is create pretty crazy time in Jewish history. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Cause like, yeah, if well, it they, rained a little too much, it was like, oh, let's go kill a bunch. Cause obviously they did it. Yeah. That, I mean, this is like a problem that I don't think anyone has a real strict yes or no silver bullet answer for, but like, why are the Jewish people always fucking persecuted like i think to a degree in like most talked about history um because like academic history is different than like uh cultural history yeah for us cultural history pretty much is the roman empire onward and that's imbued with christianity and clearly in that case the jews are persecuted for that one obvious reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so our cultural history of the Jews being like white Europeans um, is like the persecution of the Jews. Like the Jews are an entirely separate kind of people, but that's maybe not a hundred percent the case. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. I don't know why it seems to be that Jewish people are continually the scapegoat of natural disasters, like political upheavals, religious rebellions, like any fucking thing that happens, if it rains too much, exactly. Like there's just, there's a fucking pogrom and they just get persecuted. Well, like any finger pointing, like any story throughout history, like you have the good 
the bad and then like the victims. So it just seems oh. like defaultly <laughs> that they're like, oh, we'll just like, obviously they're the victims. I thought you were going to say like, the good, so. the bad, and then the Jewish people represent the ugly. No, everything Come worse. On. Yeah. There's just like, well, they're obviously not good or evil. So we got to do something. So are you saying Jews are the Russians of eighties action movies? Yeah, but even even the Russians were just like, yeah, you guys are cool. And then at some point, like Stalin had a statistically larger number of Jews as generals and like higher ups in his military. And then I think that was one of the reasons why he kind of got freaked out because he was like, oh, wait, these guys could just all turn on me. Mm. So then, oh, I got to get it to the before they do, which I don't think the high ranking like Jews in Stalin's military were like, we got to take them out. But he got to it before and was like, we're just going to kill everybody. Hitler sent him a so te- like, telegram. Oh. No, like, dude, that was before. And then like like five to ten years later, like, hey, where are all my generals? And then like, hey, remember when you went loopy fucking five years ago and killed everyone? Now we don't have qualified guys. He's like, oh, fuck. And then they fought against Hitler Yeah, <laughs> to save the Jews. Yeah. Yeah. They get, yeah, like Christian said, it's always just, they're always fucked with somehow like they're a magnet yeah god damn it i don't understand this episode is i mean not that every other episode before hasn't but this episode really is going to expose my uh uh unintelligence and ignorance (laughs) because i have no idea (laughs) i thought about anything i thought jews were like super popping and then this hitler guy fucked it all up for like five or six years so like what get their shit together no not really (laughs) there's one point that like they're talking about so um Shalem uh, Aleichem um wrote a, a series of stories uh called about uh Tevia the the dairy man. Mm-hmm. Um so it was about like a, a Jewish uh dairy man and uh he had seven daughters and the third uh daughter in one of these stories um marries a Christian and mm. gets rid of the family. Damn. Um or no I don't think he was a Christian, but they called someone a Jewish atheist. And I was like, wait, I thought mm-hmm. Jewish people, that was the religion, not like the, the ethnicity. Yeah. 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 I have a really hard time with this. Like not accepting or right. anything like that, but just, like just understanding, talking about understanding it. Yeah. That like Judaism is a faith, but the Jewish people are genetically distinct. Like they, yeah. they really are an ethnic group. Yeah. Hey, you look like you should be pretty religious. Like what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not an easy thing to understand, especially if there's no one around that you can ask to, to clarify it. Right. Yeah. It's just, you're, you're left to try and decipher it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's so far above my head um, that I can't have a, um, intelligent discussion about it. So the, people are going to listen to this episode and be like, the fuck are these idiots? Or what the fuck is that one idiot talking uh, about? Well, <laughs> it's not like we're all like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian's like uh, an expert in Europe or Jewish literature in like the turn of the 19th century. I don't know. He Europe. is holding a book that says the Jewish experience. Yeah. 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 That was weird. That was a weird find. I was at a thrift store earlier today and I saw this book and yeah. Yeah. I can't even say Jewish for some reason. <laughs> it all wants to come out <laughs> as German. <laughs> but yeah, that is a cool find. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I'm surprised to see how, um, how much uh, Shalom had affected the Jewish people's 
future. Like yeah. he, he redirected um, where Jews could could exist effectively as Jewish people for the future. And I think it still holds true now that in a way he paved, he paved the future for a certain group of Jews and for what Jews can do. And it, uh, it just, it surprised me. And the the turning point for me in this documentary was about his funeral that when 200,000 people came out on the streets of New York to mourn for like a week it just, it, it changed everything that that was, it had to be recognized by the New York Times. It had to be recognized by multiple different news agencies that like, what the fuck is going on downtown? This is the funeral procession for a Jewish writer yeah. who has died, but it, it pulled out of the woodwork. Jews that lived in New York were just, they were there the whole time. Like they're, they're a voting demographic they existed as any other New Yorker would, mm-hmm. but they had this background with them that was a little bit invisible. Um, in in general, like you'd you'd see a Jew on the street, or you would do business with one, or you'd like have one as a customer of yours. But it doesn't like you don't see them together. This is so difficult to talk about without somehow like grouping. Jews together, like as if they can be talked about. Like, well, there is like different. super insular communities in New York City where, like, I think even till to today, those communities have a slightly Eastern European accent. Oh yeah, for sure. And they're in New York City, yeah. and you're like, well, cause, like because they never speaking left. They're like British and Hebrew. That's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, did you guys get here last week? Like, no, a hundred years ago. Like, what? What? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like people uh, having like uh, like an Irish drawl to their speech. Yeah, but like, like my Boston. grandparents on my dad's side were like moved from Scotland when they were like in their twenties. And like, if you talk to my dad, you wouldn't be like, "Are you Scottish?" No, but the difference but is, yeah, that it's, I get it. Like your Scottish um, heritage didn't move with them. Yeah, like they moved yeah, yeah. as one family. Yeah, and there was. There was other Scottish yeah. people, but like, it's it's just fundamentally well, different. Oh man, that's so funny to think of just like weird American bravado of like, yeah, like Italians, like yeah, I'm from Italy, mm. and like, no, you're not. And then this yeah. this Jew over here has got like a sweet Eastern European accent, <laughs> like he's way more connected to it than you are. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's just yeah, I guess like a part of that is the like the mass movement of. Jewish people throughout the world. Cause like yeah. the Irish came over in droves and they retained an accent because they fundamentally changed the demographic of the region they moved to. Yeah, that's true. There would have well, been regions where Jewish like people. it was super, like but, a super gnarly Irish accent. Yeah. I mean like you look at yeah. Newfoundland here, right? Like, yeah. exactly. like that is a huge movement of people yeah. that well, settled at, there. Look yeah. at Quebec. Yeah. Like, right. Holy we don't, shit. Hey, we don't, we don't recognize yeah. that here. It just goes yeah. Ontario straight over to fucking New Brunswick and, and even Coach. parts of New Brunswick. I don't even know what you said. Yeah. What are you talking <laughs> about? What the fuck is he talking about? Um, and then, yeah, like Massachusetts, right? Like Boston, like, yeah. like, you know, a huge Irish population settled there and like their, their accents kind of reflect that. Yeah. That was a big part too. I think about what um, Sholem Alchem's project was, was that he was being forced to give up his, not give up his language, but uh, the language that he spoke at home was not the language that he could speak 
out in the town. Like he lived in a, like a shtetl, which is like a, a settlement, a small town in the pale of the settlement, I think is what it was called. Like a ghetto? Uh, no, like a shtetl is a town. It's just like a village. Okay. Um, but shtetls existed primarily in, I think, what was called the pale of the settlement, uh, which was in a western section of northern Ukraine, east or western Southwestern Russia. Well, on the edge of the town, right? Because like the whole... like It's so like a the suburb. Pale. Well, it would make sense. About? The pale or the shtetl? What are you talking about? The pale. I don't... Again, it's all over my head. Well, like, so where Sh- uh, Shalom lived was in a town. It has a name and I forget it, but it was like... It'd be like the word town for them is the word shtetl. Yeah. Like Deseronto is a shtetl. Belleville is a shtetl. Like these little, these little towns dotted over the region... But the region, like Ontario, for them, I think was called the Pale of the Settlement. Pale, not meaning like... Uh, okay, I get uh, it now. Right. Gotcha. Which that region geographically on the earth exists in like northwestern Ukraine, southwestern Russia. It encompasses a couple of countries now. Like we would call it the Cossack, I think. So now like a real is. peaceful place right now. Right now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> like the waters are, are calm there. Almost Palm, no one lives there anymore. Palms over Baghdad. Holy shit. Um, but <laughs> in, in that region, um, it was, it was Russian dominated. That was segregated. It was huge population of Jews that lived there, like 5 million plus they said in the documentary, Yeah, but they were being forced to speak Russian. And then I guess there was Hebrew and then there was German coming in and Yiddish was like a, a language of the commoners. It didn't exist beyond like uh, oratory, like there was no Yiddish newspapers. Yeah. There, like, well, yeah, he wrote in Yiddish newspapers. Number eventually, four. Oh, yeah. eventually, okay. He started that. Yeah. Like okay. there, there gotcha. was no. Like, he started the the journal for for Yiddish writers because he came into a huge fortune uh, through his father, and then he started to play the stock market. Won huge, made a real fortune for himself, and then used his means to pave a new way. Like he was an icebreaker for uh, the Yiddish language to yeah. flourish more. Because it, it existed, but it existed in the midst invisibly. Right. That if you were to go mm-hmm. back now in physical records, Yiddish, except for his work, maybe it wouldn't exist. Um, it would be predominantly Hebrew, Russian, German, French, other languages. Which, it would just be other languages. Which is crazy because they said like all his work was in Yiddish, but his kids spoke Russian. Yeah. Yeah. His um, kids couldn't even read his work his, yeah. in the original print. Yeah. 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 So, which is interesting because the one guy said that in like the Jewish community, like if a Jew sees even just saying a Jew, that sounds so weird, but yeah. singular <laughs> when you get them alone, you got to get them from behind. No. Um, <laughs> when they said that, like when Jewish people see, a Christian achieves something, they're like, oh yeah, that's because they're Christian. Like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But then when they see a Jew, a fellow Jew do it, they're like, I can fucking do that. So there might've been like other writers that were reading his work, like younger writers that were like, oh, like he, he's created this. Like now we can do this. Yeah, exactly. And we'll go from there. And they're like, oh shit. That's so, so like, powerful. Two prong um, in two great ways that uh, Shalom saw that there wasn't, Let's just get this out of the way. Shalom is not his real name. No. Like Shalom Alakim. Maybe yeah. Shalem is, uh, or Shalom is his real first name. No. His real name, I think, is Rabinovich. Solomon yeah. was his first 
Oh, Solomon, even. Yeah, yeah Solomon Rabinovich. Which everyone knows that every good writer's got a sweet pseudonym. Yeah. So, um, Shalom Al-Chaim is the Yiddish version of uh, Shalom Al-Chaim in, I think, Hebrew, which means, uh, like, peace be upon you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for him to have that pseudonym, it was it was a bit of a joke. Like, not a joke on himself, but it was a joke on that... Uh, this this person who speaks Yiddish is just profoundly warm to the world, but yeah. steadfastly speaking Yiddish, like yeah. subverting through his name to begin with even. So it literally means, yeah, like um, like Christian said, may peace be upon you, and is a, a greeting in traditional Hebrew and Yiddish. Yeah. Cool. So like for him, for him to do that, but not spell it how it would appear in other iterations, like in Russian or Hebrew, for him to deliberately make it Yiddish um, was a bit of, I don't know, like a bit of an ice break um, to begin with. Like he was, he was paving a new path for Yiddish literature and the language itself. But even at the fine point of uh, that whole project of his, he broke the ice again with, the name that he even chose to publish as, which was kind of neat. But yeah. I think that that um, that was a huge part of his project. That was a huge part of his life was to um, legitimize the Yiddish language because I think that that was um, fading. And as one person said in the documentary, I can't remember who it was, um, not only did uh, he recognize that there was there was constant change for the Jewish people all over the world, all the time, there was, there was constant changes, but this was not just a generational thing where, uh, his kids were learning Russian, not Yiddish. Mm -hmm. His parents had Yiddish, but no literature. And, uh, so that was generational and it was relatively minor, but it existed within a larger change that the Jews of Europe, uh, and probably elsewhere in the world were experiencing like an epical change. And it was, it was modernizing because probably of the industrial revolution and yeah, it's the, a lot of those towns, they were like pre industrial. Pre industrial. Yeah. yeah. So like they were, they were all craftspeople. Yeah. Whatever existed in one of their shtetls was because they directly produced it. Like they sourced it, they produced it, crafted it and sold it to each other. Like the money was very insular and it's just self-sustaining. Yeah. But with change, people would leave the community if they possibly could. Cause if they could get over, if anyone looking at them could get over their Jewishness, maybe they would find a job, but that was really difficult because the Jews were just universally hated for some fucking yeah. reason. Dude, we're not allowed to own land. Like yeah. you just fucking sit around and just be like, what do you want to do? You just, yeah, man, eating Work, would be cool, but we can't do that. So yeah, I guess we'll just sit here. So, <laughs> I think he, yeah, he was pivotal, I think, for eschewing in a new era for Jews to exist in because the world was changing and the Jewish people, I think, were, in some respects, I think, being deliberately left behind. That, oh, yeah. Like, would Russia have come in and industrialized that whole pale of the settlement? Unfucking likely They would have come in and stolen people mm -hmm. to throw into the fucking industrial machine to make it work, but... They wouldn't have used that land. They would have resource mined it. They would have taken 
like the arable land for farming. They would have taken like mining resources and yeah. Oh, they did all that too. Minerals. Oh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> but, uh, I think, I think someone like uh, Shalom Alechem made the, he was legitimizing the Jewish people in the new world mm-hmm. that like they're, they're, they're legitimate people. Their language exists. This is what it looks like. And the people that I'm telling you about are real people who make the world go round and to ignore those people is sort of impossible now because, I mean, if it's, if it's not in writing and if those people are segregated into a new region of the world, they effectively don't exist because I'm living in downtown St. Petersburg. What the fuck do I know of Jewish people? Because yeah. they're speaking Hebrew and they're not in the pale of the settlement. They're in St. Petersburg, so they're effectively Russian. You're not Jewish, you're Russian. And having literature, like real written works about normal Jewish people living in that part of the world made them real. Mm-hmm. And I think that he was he was world building a real world so that it stayed uh, real. It, it existed to be to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Right. You can't just plow Do you think, over um, the land. If we had like a Jewish friend that we could talk to and they'd be like, yeah, you fucking idiot. Like, this guy was, like, so huge in our community. Like, of course. Like, hey, did you know about this guy? And that they would just be like, oh, no, I didn't really know about him. Or It'd like, be oh, like cool. us hearing or about like, Mark Twain. At, yeah, or, at, like, I'm going to, not Sunday school, but, like, at their... Are you calling us all racist? Yeah, what? What? <laughs> Mark Twain. <laughs> He, well, no, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, they called him. He like, definitely oh. did because he was like, <laughs> like the yes. Mark Twain of yeah. uh, Europe. But then yeah. Mark Twain was like, "Holy fuck! Like I can only wish to be like the Shalom Alechem of the states." Yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was just funny because I was relating. I was saying that you're saying, "Oh, it's like us relating to to Mark Twain." Yeah. Um. So I asked if you're calling us racist. But how many Good. people do you think? Uh, I guess you think a lot of people our age would be like. Do you know who Mark Twain is? And they would know? Well, our age, yeah. <laughs> 100%. I, I think people... I, I, I would I would hazard a guess that most people Christian's age probably would be like, uh, I don't know. They wouldn't yeah. 100%... Would, like, I'm not speaking for my generation, because... Yeah. I don't know, dude. I think you're giving yourself, you, you and your homies, too much credit. Yeah. They, well, like, have you ever read a Twain novel? Yep. Yeah. I All got right. it. Yeah. Well, I set myself up for that one, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how was yeah. it? It was good. Tom, Tyler, so- Tom Tyler, Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Love here's the original. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. None, no words taken out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, just, I mean, like, I think that everyone right. would know the name Mark sure. Twain, but like, has anyone actually read him in our day and age? Yeah. Not, not super likely, although more I, likely than I read. I mean, his like other stuff would be funny because there's like he used to do like matchbox shit where yeah. you just go into a town and like read short stories and like mm-hmm. kind of do like a comedic routine. So reading some of that stuff would be funny. Yeah, because if it was got, just like uh, shit like political stuff of the day of like oh apples, everyone yeah. likes apples or just some stupid shit. He's got a good one called Roughing It. Okay, it's, it's semi autobiographical, but it's basically like a backwoods comedy. Like up shit's creek without a paddle. Kind oh, of thing. cool! Oh, yeah, it's, it's neat. So he's the, the Jeff Foxworthy of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I and I say that because I just watched yeah. watched Jeff Foxworthy stand up special. Like just Fuck. came out. It's all fun yeah. and games until they get to the lynching. Then you're like, mm-hmm. this is hard to be funny. It's like an old Eddie Murphy special. And you're like, damn, <laughs> he's saying um, some wild shit. 
but so, and I don't think we've mentioned it at all, but uh, that most he's Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Have we mentioned that? <laughs> I thought he was a Catholic. I thought he was um, a good old Catholic boy from Minnesota. But yeah, I don't think we've, we've said that like Fiddler on the Roof, the Broadway musical turned um, film mm-hmm. uh, is based on his stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so people who may not know the name uh, Sholem Alakim. Yeah we'll probably know Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, like when yeah. you picked what? this last week, you said his name, and we were like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Uh, yeah. I'm like, oh, Fiddler, oh, okay. Yeah, and whether, like, I, I've i never seen Fiddler on the Roof. Um, I think I was, I've seen the play, but it was like a local version. Yeah. It wasn't anything mm. insane. I was planning on watching the movie, but I didn't get around to it. Didn't get around to it. <laughs> I caught him sleeping in the chair during this documentary. Damn. Didn't get around to watching it. Christians just kind of bailed on us. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I checked out for this one. Yeah. Yeah. I could I could see that. Oh. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it was for five minutes. It happens. There was just a I lot don't even think it was that long. Going on. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think people are, are going to be more aware of a fiddler on the roof than they are of his actual name or, yeah. or even or like uh, any Tabia. Yeah, exactly. The Milkman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so from how super ball and his granddaughter looked, do you think the family got a percentage of the fiddler on the roof? She looked like Harry um, Carey. What? Yeah. She looked like Harry Carey. Okay. I thought that that was like Japanese honorable. Suicide. Yeah. Like, so, no. you know yeah. who Harry Carey is? No. Well, no. I explained it to Christian that it's like, yeah, Japanese no, that's, suicide. That's like hurry curry or something like that. I don't know. Oh, well, cause that's super close. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, sorry on us for not knowing. Harry Carey was a, uh, like an American, uh, um, like a broadcast, uh, guy. Like he did the Cubs games. Oh. Huh. Wait, um, you're saying this girl. Yeah. Like it, so this guy had like balling ass purple earrings and shit. No, but just like big ass glasses. Oh, okay. So, do you ever? Do you remember like the old uh, Will Smith? Uh, not Will Smith. Fuck. Urkel. Uh, Will Ferrell. Uh, uh, SNL. Where he's like, hi, I'm Harry Carey, and this is like space with Harry Carey. Where? Yeah. Nope. Oh, okay. God. <laughs> just so, a big. Yeah. I, You've just outed yourself. You guys keep talking. I will. Uh, but from what I was getting at, this lady looked like she was in. She had expensive accoutrements yeah. around here that I was like, oh, they're probably getting a percentage of that fiddler on the yeah. roof money. Not only, but like, I think that she probably like curates his estate. You like think she, so? Like, yeah, she, she's like, like owns, a representative of the family. Uh, well, like, I mean, literally, but just that she owns his, his works and. Yeah, that's like, probably got to be worth something. Gives it out to publishing companies for a fee and. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's probably, And like, he's fucking monumental, like a really, really. Yeah. Big writer. It would I, just be super sad that you're like, oh yeah, his family gets like none of it. You're like, oh, yeah. that's fucked up. Yeah, I doubt that. That's Harry Carey. Looks like Drew Carey. Yeah, they're cousins. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Harry was his great, great cousin. Huh. And that's Will Ferrell playing Harry Carey. Oh yeah. God. <laughs> that's cool. So yeah, I get it. They got the same glasses. Yeah. They could date. <laughs> Maybe she bought Harry Carey's glasses afterwards. I don't know. Maybe. That'd be kind of neat. But, um, yeah. No, it was cool that they got to, like, talk to someone from his family. That, yeah. Like, I, you cool know what shocked me about this? Is the that project. they had audio of him speaking. Yeah. That's super rare. What that, I don't from. think they did. No, they, that, that was all a narrator. Uh, it's an actor. 
What? No, not the uh, whole movie. There was like there was a small like a yeah. twenty second clip. Oh, so remember that yeah, five yeah. minutes that Christian was sleeping? That, <laughs> that twenty yeah, that, that you were sleeping? sleeping. <laughs> That's right. That happened at that time. No, I do remember that now. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. how yeah. rare? First, like tons of pictures. Of yeah. Him I wonder what that's from. Is it like a radio interview or just I him like talking mad shit? Yeah. Who's to say? That would be cool. It was talking mad there was, shit. There was well, I don't know. You think he's just footage. like talking with his buddy? No, I don't. Yeah. Or like, what the fuck is it recorded from? Some kind it's of political just thing. Yeah. yeah, political yeah. thing or like, because he was a part of the Zionist movement. Yeah, so um, like I said, talking mad shit. Century. Yeah, I suppose. It's like, we got this radical idea. From our perspective. We just want to be just We like, just want to yeah. be left alone and have our own country it and the rest like of the world. <gasps> You're going to start World War, the Second World War. Like, no, that's coming. Just yeah. wait. And Could it's you imagine having that us. talk? What? I can't imagine. Like having the talk of that you'd like to segment a piece of land on the face of the earth for uh, your group of people. Yeah. That would be wild. Yeah, except that that land, there was kind of already people there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like you can't just do that. Like anywhere that's habitable by people on earth is habitable by people on earth. Like people that, most of the I mean, th- I'm sure we could find a section of Mongolia where there's nobody. Yeah, but why? Uh, it means that there's no reason you can't actually yeah. reasonably live there. Yeah. Like that's the point. Everywhere that's habitable is habited. Yeah, that's what's fucked up about like Antarctica. That you're like, oh man, look at people can come together and not have conflicts. And like, oh yeah, the only reason is because no one would survive. Mm. Oh, that's fucked. Like, if this place was, like, tropical and super nice, there would have been a lot of dead bodies here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's some uninhabited islands in the South Pacific. But there's, like, because there's, like, small and there's yeah, nothing. It's not sustainable. I'm just trying but, to yeah. raise a ruckus. Job well done. A good old-fashioned ruckus. A good old-fashioned. Yeah. Uh, we got Seminole Island. There's still people there. We could bah, fuck them up. Yeah. Mm. Just throw like BB guns at them; they'd freak out. Oh, yeah, you just, and flashlights. You don't want to like shoot the oh, gun. Oh, general fire over yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you start a cargo cult. You <laughs> yeah. Come down with all this new technology, and then you leave <gasps> one lighter behind. It's Captain Bick, and they're like, "Oh God, please come back." Ah, uh, yeah, but no, yeah. it was it was neat learning about like this guy. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Yeah, Jews really get the shit end of the stick a lot throughout history. Yeah, that was a big part of it. I just, like, how how monumental he was, I'm shocked that he's not talked about more. Yeah. I just, like, I can't imagine that Jews would exist today as uh, a people as we know them if it hadn't been for Alchem. How and- crazy is it that we grew up in a very white Christian society and we were not taught about this guy or James Baldwin? Yeah. Huh. Weird. Almost like there's something that was underminingly done there. Yeah, but like Winston Churchill and... Hey, he was a great man. Fucking FDR and all that shit. Yeah, he was a great <laughs> cripple. Hitler. Yeah. These he are the people that we know about. had great traits. <laughs> He's yeah. Mao, like, uh, he killed a lot. <laughs> That's why he's notable. It just, <laughs> I, it just shocks me because, like, uh, I think I've, if it wasn't for his work, would Jewish people be? Uh, this is gonna, it, this none of this episode is gonna be super appropriate. But like, would Jewish people be in the entertainment industry as we know them today? Mm-hmm. Would they be like prolific writers? Maybe not in Yiddish or even really in Hebrew, because I think books are translated into Hebrew, but. 
probably mostly for sale in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know that Jews could exist if it wasn't for uh, Alechaim pulling their stories from them, putting them at a distance, and giving them back to these people for them to lean on for themselves. Like the he he pulled their stories out of real life, put them down on paper, and then gave them back to those people for them to lean on themselves. And like, that's, that's super important. We as white people, like white North American Christian males, really like whether we like or are religious, um, kind of, we don't have a choice. Like we rest upon that history and for the Jewish people, they don't have that per se, especially in Yiddish. So, uh, for Alaheim to, to do this for them, um, it gives them, it gives them something substantial and it gives them perspective and it, it legitimizes them. I can't get over that fact that all of his work seems to, to be legitimizing a people that was increasingly made invisible. Somehow like they were invisible until something bad happens and then they're a scapegoat again. Like they're the most opaque fucking demon you could possibly find. <laughs> like they exist through and through and they are in your home and they're in your business and they're fucking your shit up. Except his first trip to America did not go well. No. He put on two shows simultaneously and was like critically panned uh, for them. Yeah. I just, uh, I can't. And then there's that too, is like this, this weird failing. It might've been posthumous, but like this weird failing upwards. Like he was, he was monumental in his own community and he was monumental in like the literary community because his stories are good outside of the Jewish people as well. Mm -hmm. Like he's, He's not panned as a writer. He was panned as a playwright, but mm-hmm. eh, fuck it. But somehow still pushed the Jewish people positively forward. He he failed upwards. Right. And even more so after his death, because then it, uh, he, I don't want to say that he died as a martyr, but um, I guess it's, I don't, it's like the 27 club. It's like, you want to be famous? Fucking die at a young age. Like right. do work, even if it's shitty and then kill yourself at a young age, you will be more famous than you could ever imagine. Yeah. And I, I don't feel like that's exactly what happened with Alheim, but you should try that in a way. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just saying this will be like two dudes and a ghost. Yeah. Christian propelling us forward. Yeah. Yeah. He's gone on to greater and better things. All right. He's dead. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know that he would have, like, I don't know that I would call him a martyr, but somehow yeah. his death Mm-hmm. Um, pushed even further the fact that the people he wrote about, um, uh, like they 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 lived even more because he is he's dead now. He died in front of them. That it pushed them into not letting themselves slip further because he didn't let them slip. He saw something in them, like he saw their essence, and he thought it was important, so he put it down on paper. And then when he was dead, it's like that was that was a tenuous idea. Like it might fade with him as well. So it pushes them to live more in his honor. Like in spite of his absence, they live more because of it now. Because if they don't, like he's not around to write them into existence. So they just now are compelled to exist really truly. Mm-hmm. And uh so they're talking about how like, can he change the style of writing, like in his uh, Telly of stories, um, mm. 
basically he wrote his first one. It was set at a certain point in time. Five years passed before he wrote the second story. And in that yeah. story, five years had passed. Yeah, that's so cool. So yeah. it's not like, you know, like he just starts off. and Yeah, it's not yeah. like, you know, we're watching the Fast and Furious movie where, you know, number one uh, finishes and number two starts where the last one left off. I thought they were all in chronological. <laughs> Even though it was oh, like... Man. Five years later, that they, they yeah, like, yeah yeah that's a so, cool that's hey, that's cool. I don't I'm on the same page as the guy who brought that up. That I don't know of another book um, in history that has done that. Like that is is first of all not written as one thorough novel like like straight through like this is a single book like this mm-hmm. is a collection this is an anthology of stories with a continuous character. But that character ages in real time along with the author who's writing it. And that's... Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. That's unique. That gives you a really neat perspective, too. Because um, you could read the first... Like, you could read them in order like a book series. Knowing this... Or even if you didn't... You, Dude, how cool would it be to, like, read the book in 20 years? Like, it takes you 20 years to read the book. Yeah, so, like, I thought about at, that. At the young, when you're young, like, you read this part. And then when you get to, like, middle age... Read like just to, it would be cool. So I thought about doing that. It kind of reminds me like there's a, a movie that came out recently. Like it took ten years to shoot, mm. and it spans over ten years. Well, there's that doc series, and, the Seven Up, the British doc series. Yeah, right? but yeah. There, it was a dramatized movie. And Ethan Hawke was in it called Boy. Oh boy. Oh yeah, yeah that boyhood. was um. What's his yeah. face that directed it? Fuck Link, Linkletter or yeah, no. yeah, Richard Linkletter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Boyhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it shot over. 10 or 12 years and then it, like, mm-hmm. the movie spans over that time. Yeah, yeah. that's a neat idea. Yeah. I was yeah. shocked when I heard about that coming out. And this is like the book version of the same thing. Yeah. You could you could know about the author doing this and how he yeah. sort of used these as uh, like like platonic dialogues almost. Like he puts himself into the story as the big ear that his fictional character speaks to. Yeah to tell his story, which is first of all, a really fucking cool literary device. Um, still have not seen that elsewhere along with the fact that he wrote in real chronological time to his character. But yeah, taking like taking five years off reading the first one and then knowing ahead of time that the next one is in five years and then reading it yourself in five years. So you match like the release date and the time in the story would be really neat. That would be cool. But if you didn't know, and if you didn't do that, whatever, then you read the first novel and you're like, okay, well, Tevye does this and he's this old. And then you move to the next novel uh, five years later and you read about him then and his changes. You would perceive um, probably a fairly realistic change in that character. Like that's really, really good, accurate character development in a book. And then you come to find out, hopefully, maybe, that uh, that came from a real place like this wasn't it's fiction but it's it's based so directly off of a real life circumstance um it just that's that's how it was portrayed so accurately and that would just be a a neat way to do it yeah 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 i would like to read his short stories i feel like um would you read them in yiddish yeah yeah i would spend a decade (laughs) learning yiddish (laughs) to no effect I think you could do it. So I could read some short stories. Yeah. I thought about learning another language to read in like the original language. Cause you do lose so much with the translation. Yeah. But stories like this, I think are, 
they're like they're folky. They're not they're not high literature like fucking Dostoevsky or Tolstoy, like the Russian great novels. It's not meant to be a fucking epic book. Of no, yeah, yeah. he was a folk writer. Yeah, he was yeah. A, he was a writer for like what you would find in Reader's Digest. Like he was kind of like Charles Dickens. Like Charles Dickens's books now are revered. They're like they're a part of English university courses all about Dickens novels, but they were written for normal people. Yeah. They were published in like newspapers and magazines and segments and uh, like there was nothing highbrow about it. Like he so going back to, to, I mean, I don't think, you know, Mark Twain is considered highbrow anymore either, no. but, but I kind of say like, like mm-hmm. before, you know, there was talk about racism in his books and stuff like that. Like, I think people thought like Mark Twain was like one of the greats, right? Yeah. He's like, also just talking about what's going on in his yeah. time. In so his time, like, he was a great. Yeah. Yeah. When this guy was like talking about what's going on, he'd be like, oh, wow, this is like, there's too much bad stuff about Jews. He's like, well, this is what the fuck's going on in my yeah. community. So mm-hmm. don't fucking get pissed off at me. But Yeah. it's I like the idea of his books being um, small, short stories. Like you could, they would like be like 30 or 40 pages at at the most, because mm. they've got to be digestible. These people are working. They don't have real time for this shit. Like, they're going to be telling each other stories over dinner yeah. or in the morning or like on the factory floor. You're waiting for something exactly. Like, you, you ask, like, you tell each other. It's like talking about TV. It's like you don't watch three and a half hours of Big Bang Theory. You watch. God, I, I do, though. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't. Good. <laughs> you watch a half hour on Thursday and Friday morning on the shop floor. You're talking about it, and it's super digestible because it's. It might talk about, it's like a literary sitcom. Yeah. But it's, it's super relatable, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for, I do binge some shows though. It would be, yeah. Yeah. I do. I wonder if, uh, Alheim's writing was ever binged. Like someone sat down and like, they didn't parse it out to themselves in little bite-sized morsels, like short story, like once a week or once every couple of days. You just read all of his short stories all at once. All of his shit. There's it, it reminds me. He reminds me in his writing in that particular vein of uh, Aesop, the old Rocky. Um, Aesop <laughs> Rocky. No, Aesop the Roman. Um, maybe he was Greek. I'm not like I'm not a fucking biographer, but like two thousand years ago, Aesop's fables, like incredibly famous. He's the one who came up with like the tortoise and the hare. Mm-hmm. Oh um, shit. Okay. Like, not exactly like the golden rule, but Aesop's fables are like, they're almost, almost one liners. Like they're super, super simple stories that are really meant to put down like a moral rule. Like uh, don't cheat people or don't pretend to be someone you're not. Cause you're going to get outed and people are going to laugh at you and just be yourself kind of thing. Or like don't uh, monkey see monkey do. Uh, I think that old one is that uh, two fishermen on the shore are throwing a net into the water to catch fish and then they go away to have lunch or something up on like further up on the, the shoreline and a monkey was in the tree watching them the whole time and he comes down and wants to catch himself a fish and he sees how the fishermen were doing it so he gets the net throws it and somehow gets himself all fucking tangled up in it and drowns but as he's drowning he's like ah this is this is my lot for trying to pretend to be a fisherman when I should have just been a monkey and the moral of the story is that you like monkey see monkey do like, don't try to be something that you're not know yourself and do what you do. So I think, yeah, these remind me a lot of Aesop's fables, like our, our version as like white non-Jewish, like Gentile Europeans. 
um, is Aesop's fables. And maybe it could be said that like the, the Jewish people's uh, Aesop is found in Shalom Alheim. And that would be really neat. I, I feel like I see the relation. It's probably fucking cosmetic and is not truly really there, but uh, I'm not Jewish. So I can't really say. That's the tough part about this one is that we don't, we don't have a ton of uh, backing to go on this. And this documentary is only so long. And yeah. right. like it's, it's super specific. It's about this one person and exactly his life and how his life rippled out into the rest of his community. And then from his community, it rippled into the rest of society at large, wherever they found themselves, either under persecution or under celebration or in mourning or, or what have you. It just, uh, you can't stop the effect of one person or a group of people into another. We all, we all live together, but, uh, this doc was, it was good. It kind of felt like TV. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it had some neat Definitely. points though, where I see other documentaries failing to do this in uh, putting a face to a name that mm-hmm. when they were talking about his father, like shockingly enough, they actually had pictures. So when, yep. right when they said anyone's name for the most part throughout the whole documentary, they brought up a, an old black and white photo of that person. And then when they were talking about um, like the, the family mansion or like the, the estate that his father had, cause he was like a successful merchant in their small town, they had a picture of the house. And I was like, well, fuck, this is great. This documentaries I think really are meant to convey information about the real world. And if you're going to narrate something and you do have the ability to put on the screen in picture form, what you're narrating, like to make that correlation audio to visual, you should absolutely do it because that's sort of the point of documentaries is to tell a story about real life. And if you can do that, not just by telling a story, but by showing two, then I think you should do that. And they did that. I'm surprised because I don't see this a lot in other documentaries. They, they seem to want to be like the Maisel's brothers where they just turn on the camera and they let it speak for itself. But like, fuck. Sometimes it's nice to have a lot of information. Like if you want to watch a documentary to learn something, like for a school project, fuck. Like if your project is on Shalom Al-Khaim. Yeah, just watch this doc. Yeah, watch this. Like you will learn probably as much as you need to know if you're not doing like a university research. But even so, like Shalom Al-Khaim not only changed the Jewish people's way of living in modern times after industrialism, but he's like notable enough that he has his own documentary and this is, this is how his, uh, like character, his, his person, his legend, um, has moved into bigger and more flashier things. It's, it's kept up with the times it's, he's, he's being insisted that he's still relevant. And I would say that he is for sure. Definitely. Yeah. In one last thing, I think I just saw Tyler stick his hand into the jar and he's not getting me a cookie. He's getting me a documentary. (laughs) Um, This is a stretch and this whole documentary has probably been wildly inappropriate. So I apologize for the past and for the future. But this, there was one part uh, where they were talking about uh, the Jewish people because of the, like the epochal change that they were undergoing. Like there was a fundamental change uh, undercurrenting, undergirding 
their generational shifts, which obviously much changes between generations, but then uh, eventually the the big hand comes around and it passes an hour instead of just minutes. Um, and there's there's a grand change that changes everything uh, beyond just generations. And how... Oh, fuck, excuse me. Um, the Jewish people were... Uh, adjusting to that change, but that change uh, was in in a way indirectly asking them to leave their Jewishness behind, but to uh, remain a visible Jew was not a choice. So you have to you have to try and reconcile these two things. You have to do as a Jewish person, like you are tasked with work to either not work, I suppose, but like a work in the sense of a choice that you have to either uh, work your Jewishness out of your person so that you aren't so visibly Jewish or your mannerisms or even like your, your way of thinking about things and approaching the world. I think the Jewish people have a unique perspective in that regard. And a lot of the world at that time was asking them to leave that behind, to join modernity and uh, participate in what everyone else is participating in. And uh, they couldn't, they couldn't leave. They didn't want to, they ought not to have. And uh, it would have been unfair for them to leave their Jewishness behind. But at the same time, they can't go forward being the Jews that they used to be. So either way, if you... Uh, go forward without being a Jew, you lose your Jewishness. But if you go forward pushing your Jewishness with you, you might be in a worse position. Like you're going to be outcast and the world won't accept you because they want you to change with it. Mm-hmm. And I see this a lot in um, Canada's relation with their indigenous population. That there, Like no fucking way, I, I think, really, would indigenous people like to go back to pre-colonial time. Yeah. No way. Like you, it just, it can't happen. It would be like, if they did, it would be so, it would be weird in the sense that like people would just go and watch them like, Oh, look at them living. No, I mean that they would die. Well, yeah, that too. You, you couldn't do it. Some wounds just have to be a wound. You can't, you can't fix it so much that it disappears. Yeah. That would be horrific. Yeah. It'd be like putting, um, all dogs back out into the wild. Like they all go to heaven. So it's okay. Yeah, that's true. They've been fundamentally changed to the point where they can't go back. It would be worse than if it had never happened in the first place. Yeah. So like you, you think that you're putting a balm onto this wound to heal it by giving them back exactly what they lost. But that in turn would make it worse than it is now. And what it was the fact that you can't, put indigenous people back into the same situation as they had pre-colonial times because it would make their lives exponentially worse. I don't think that native communities would like that because I think that they like to be alive. It's just, it's an unfixable wound. And I think that I, I, I thought I saw that in uh, mm-hmm. Shalom Alakim's like what he represented about the Jewish community that they they are going to have a really tough time choosing what to bring forward into the future with them about their Jewish culture 
but changing along with the times and uh, allowing themselves to change. But you have to bring something with you because either you change completely out of being Jewish or you bring your Jewishness with you and you dissolve either way. So like there's, I think there's parallels there about a group of people changing with the overarching time of the larger civilization that they live within to retain a bit of their history. It's like Quebec wanting to push like their language first. They've got laws about that shit. Like that's, that's their existence. Like they exist as people for sure. But if you can't speak how, like I'd like you know yourself, you sort of, you lose a huge part of your existence. If you don't have your language, it makes it harder to talk about yourself, to describe your way of living. And I think like for, for al it was Yiddish. For the indigenous people, it's probably just their actual existence, which is more fucked up. And for Quebec, it's, it's their language as well. Your language is how you describe and approach the world in a meaningful way. And if you lose that, then you lose, you lose almost everything. Yep. Amen. In that, oh, what do we got? Oh, no, is it about the French people? Is it about, about Quebec? Fr- no, it's not. Oh. <laughs> Napoleon, Quebec. No. It's about uh, a former president. Oh, not really. Jesus. What? It's the Central Park Five. The Central Park Five. Yeah. Who's this? Uh, it's five uh, African American uh, kids that uh, um, were wrongfully um, arrested for a murder, I believe. Oh, um, this sounds sort of familiar. Donald Trump like put a, like an ad saying that they need to be arrested and and try it's something like that. I don't know the full story behind it. It's but modern then. Oh, yeah, shit. it came out in 2012. But oh, uh, yeah, I remember Donald Trump put out an ad in the New York Times or uh, something like that uh, a newspaper in New York saying like denouncing the the Central Park Five. Ooh, yeah. Jesus! Gnarly. Oh. Fuck, that's why this sounds familiar. When we were doing the West Memphis Three, um, I forget what that one was called, but um, yeah, I I had heard about uh, the New York Five. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's sort of the same thing. Like they absolutely didn't do it, right? Yeah, and uh, they were they were pushed to be the the perpetrators yeah. either way. Yeah, I, I feel like we could find like for every state they're like oh yeah the memphis, <laughs> the memphis three there was the arkansas two yeah new york five well yeah. west memphis was in arkansas yeah oh yeah okay. oh no Damn as it. if you Damn pulled fuck. that one out of your head. Right. there was 49 <laughs> other yeah. ones that you could have grabbed Alaska. well there's Shit. no way there's kids in you Ohio, uncultured probably. swine yeah <laughs> uncultured fucking swine. idiot um also tonight's the oscars tonight is the oscars tonight is the oscars holy shit do we want to make some uh, selections for documentaries? Yeah. yeah. So All right. I, I know we've talked about this year's nominations in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. That was uh, a while ago, though. But yeah. I, I will go over them again. So If there's anything on in the Ukraine, a doc about that, it's winning. So we have uh, Ascension. Um, uh, yeah. So we going have, into something? Ascension. Sorry, we have Ascension, Attica, Flea. Summer of Soul and Writing with Fire. Um, so those are our cool um, documentary features. So Ascension or Ascension is the pursuit of the Chinese dream. Oh. So, oh. Observational Shit. documentary presents a contemporary vision of China that prioritizes 
productivity and innovation above all. Ascension. That's yeah. pretty neat because we've done some like uh, some Chinese yeah. documentaries before. It's like a Black Mirror doc, man. That's so, going to be freaky. Then mm. uh, Attica is about the uh, Attica prison. Uh, this yeah. doesn't sound familiar. No. It's like Attica a, prison? It's yeah. like a big prison riot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. They had um, some fun. Yeah. Them, them, them boys had some fun. They just wanted rights. Rice. They wanted rice. They wanted rice. <laughs> they wanted the right to vote and to brutally murder everyone. God. Um, and Flea is about uh, uh, this guy named Amin Nawabi as he grapples with a painful secret that he has kept hidden for 20 years. I've one had that, fleas for 20 years. One that threatens to derail the life he has built for himself and his soon-to-be husband. I am actually a small insect. I'm not gay. <laughs> yeah. So I think... Uh, that could be cool. Tells his story of his extraordinary journey as a child refugee from Afghanistan. Oh, I get why having a husband's kind of a big deal then. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that- um, Summer of Soul... Uh, or when the revolution could not be uh, televised, is about uh, a large concert. Uh, yeah, that in, block party. Yeah, in uh, in New York. Yeah, yep. I think so. And then uh, writing with fire is writing with fire. <clears throat> writing with fire is about. Uh, oh, it's about women uh, in news in India. An all woman uh, oh. news uh, yeah. agency. Yeah. If we remember that one. Right. Yeah. Damn. There's a lot of so culturally ones mm. that I could see winning. So who wants to make the first pick that what they think will win? I, I have my pick, but I will I will reserve my pick for last. I'm gonna I forget the name of it, but the gay Afghani guy. That is Flea. So Mitch picks Flea. Flea. Hmm. Um, I'm going to go writing with fire Yeah, because it's equally persecutory to the West's enemies. Well, maybe not now, but can't let that slip. So yeah, I'm going to go with writing with fire because it, it represents too much that the West hates. I'm picking summer of soul. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. That one sounds like fun. I want to watch that. Questlove uh, was one of the directors as well. Mm. So the I wonder if he had anything to do with the soundtrack. I would hope Probably. so. Probably. She yeah. doesn't know shit about music. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then uh, for the uh, documentary shorts, there's one called Audible, one called Lead Me Home, one called The Queen of Basketball, one called Three Songs for Benazir, and then one called We Were Bullies. Um, so We Were Bullies. Man, remember when we were bullies? Yeah. All of our victims killed themselves. We have a really good success rate. I have made so much money. Yeah. Of being an asshole. I made so many lunches disappear. (laughs) I made myself allergic to peanut butter. I ate it so much. (laughs) So this one, the director, so when when we were bullies, the director uh, tracks down his fifth grade class and fifth grade teacher to examine their memory of and complicity in a bullying incident 50 years ago. Oh, Oh. dude, this kid better gotten like borderline molested because if it was like he got a little bit of kool-aid spilt on him and you're harboring that shit for 30 years get the fuck out of <laughs> here how cool would it be if they went to go talk to the grade five class not thinking that they were bullies and they just 
the teacher told them just like, yeah, you guys were fucking assholes. And they're like, wait, wait, no, we weren't. Like, yeah, you know, you're totally assholes. There's going to be like gnarly twist in this that like the kid who was like the good kid in the class who just had a rough childhood is like in jail now. Mm. And you're like, yeah, this is going to be like stand by me. (laughs) So audible dead body audible was, uh, is a documentary, a short doc, obviously. Uh, shaken by a friend's suicide, a deaf high school football player copes with family and relationships while anticipating his final homecoming game. This is about a guy in high school? He just wants yeah. the outside world to stop making all the noise. Hmm. <laughs> the Journey of Maryland School for the Deaf High School Athlete, uh, Amory McKenstry Hall. Interesting. Yeah. Deaf football. Yeah. Do you know how they communicate? Sign language? With their eyes, I guess. No, like on the ground, like stomping their feet. Oh, really? Yeah. That's oh. how they like do the calls. Because I heard a comedian when he was in, actually that Shane Gillis, I think it was the Shane Gillis guy, was talking about like his high school football team sucked and they played against a deaf school and they're like, oh, we're going to fuck these guys up. And then the deaf dude started doing like, commun- and they're like, wait, what are they doing? And mm. then they just ran through these able-bodied kids. So hmm. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then Lead Me Home is uh, about uh, homelessness. So fighting just to survive, California's homeless population suffers as housing costs soar, pushing more of the disadvantage onto the streets. Oh, that one's definitely not going to win. No? Too no. In, no, it's too in your face. As soon as that wins a fucking Oscar, also, like you're going to have to deal with the problem that it's about. Yeah, but also they're legally allowed to steal things under $1,000 and not get prosecuted. So it can't be- homeless? Yeah, it can't be that bad to be homeless. And <laughs> I guess it's nice. All Dude, you know friends. how much shit you could steal for under a thousand dollars and you can go to like 998 and security's like, Oh, you shifty son of a bitch. I've done this before. Ooh. Yeah. The queen of basketball sounds pretty, pretty decent. I've actually heard some like uh, news articles about yeah. this before. People are talking about this. Yes. I'm going to so vote for that one. It's uh, uh, Lucia, Lucy Harris, Stewart is a pioneer in women's basketball, leading a a rural Mississippi college to three national titles, scoring the first basket in women's Olympic history in 1976, and being the first and only woman to be drafted to the NBA. Whoa. Like, did she have playtime? No. Probably not. No. When was she she drafted? Um, I don't know when she was drafted. That's crazy. Okay. So if it was like the seventies, like that's when the NBA was like literally beating the living fuck out of each other, like straight up fist fights and dudes were on the court. Oh fuck yeah, man! Really? Fuck yeah! Huh? Or like just out, like blatant elbows to the face, mm-hmm. and just the refs like, "What well, is this basketball?" Yeah. Now, if yeah, like you're kicked out for like a bunch of games. <laughs> mm. So yeah. her playing in that environment would be fucking crazy. Yeah, tough. So who wants? So we'll give Christian the first choice on this one because I assume you're going to pick the queen of basketball. Yeah, for sure. Mitch, go ahead. Um. Oh, I forgot three songs for Benazir. I'll pick that one because you yeah. forgot it. Three songs for Benazir is uh, the story of Shaista. A young man who newly married to Benazir and living in a camp for displaced persons in Kabul struggles to balance his dreams of joining the Ashkan National Army with uh, responsibilities of starting a family. Hmm. Nah. Shit. I'm going to pick that one, but it's probably not going to win because America is like over that conflict. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's a super interesting story though. You never hear about like I've never seen like an American story like that. Yeah. Or not that we're American, but that's the only fucking media we get. But I've never seen a even a fictional story about someone wanting to join the military, but they also have this family that's yeah. like right on the brink of existing and Or yeah, if you come from a community that is very family oriented. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nah, I want to join the military. Like, yeah, but you need to have a wife and some kids. Yeah, like, like that's... fucking damn it. In some perspective, that's like uh, having to choose between two of the greatest things in your yeah. life. Yeah. Two dreams. So, Mitch, what's your pick? I, uh, that one. That one? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's probably not going to win, but I'll pick that one because you forgot it. Yeah, I'm going to pick Audible. I'm going to pick the deaf mm. football players. Yeah. Sounds like it's... I, th- I feel... I thought it was about football, which is a great name for a deaf football. Yeah. Sounds like nothing. Looks like a good story. You asshole. Did you guys pick your feature? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I was just... Did we write these down? Because I forgot already. <laughs> I, I picked Summer of Soul. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Christian picked Writing with Fire and... Uh, oh, yeah. The yeah. Afghan guy that has Attica. a husband. Or no, Flea. Attica. Yeah. Flea. Well, there's a bunch of guys in Attica that have husbands. So you weren't far off. Choice. That's like an arranged marriage. Work, hu- work, work yeah. husbands. Oh, work. <laughs> yeah. You know how people have work wives, work husbands. Yeah, you've been my workmate for like work husband for like twenty years. <laughs> oh. Common so, law. This you're is my, you're, my, you're the best employee I've ever had. <laughs> so yeah. The du- Oscars tonight. We will see uh Fuck if yeah. one of our picks uh makes it. Mm-hmm. And Hopefully. uh We'll be back next week with uh, the Central Park Five. Central Park Five. Cool. Going to the park. Have you? I've I've been to Central Park. I have not. Nope. No. Nope. Were you one of the five? I was not one of the five. No. <gasps> Lucky, because no. he did it. Because he's white. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. See you. Uh, see you, kids, next week. Peace. Bye.